Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Stand Up For The Truth. We appreciate you guys supporting and sharing this podcast, and we're going to get right to it today because the topic is so important, and that would be truth. Truth matters. Today, um, fasten your seatbelts because we're going to talk a little bit about about history of the media in America. We're going to revisit the principles of journalism and we are going to expose media malpractice. There is an ongoing war on truth. That war, of course, goes right into the church, but it's in our culture. It's very prevalent, and we are going to talk about that today. Um, we need to open in prayer, and I just uh, encourage you guys to, um, to try to share scriptures throughout this broadcast today and uh, hopefully just keep us well-grounded as we talk about things that are really infuriating to me as one that um, really likes justice and truth, and we're not getting a whole lot of that, it seems, from much of the media, and it's there's been such a shift in the last 25 to 50 years. We're going to talk about a little bit of that, get through as much information as we can, and give you resources, and we've got links we'll put in today's podcast notes. Father, thank you for giving us this opportunity to, to talk about truth because it really does matter where our faith is, what we put our time into, what we invest in, and the foundation that we build on the Word of God. Help us, Lord, look at this topic today um, through the lens of Scripture and through a biblical worldview. And please give us patience with people who hate you, for with people who disrespect authority and who um, really criticize Christians, conservatives. Uh, We love you, Lord, and we know that they need Jesus. Help us to remember the importance of sharing the gospel and not caring about our popularity. Um, And Lord, we just lift up this time to you. We thank you. We ask Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth, and we pray for discernment as we talk about these things as it relates to Christians and the church in this current culture we're living in. We praise you, Lord God. We know that you are the God of truth, and we know that your word is true. We thank you that we have something secure that we can anchor our lives and our hopes to. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, so much to talk about. An honest evaluation and pursuit of the truth is absolutely necessary in the Christian life. But in America... In particular, uh, whether it be government, um, media, the entertainment industry, culture, the government schools, the roots of deception, even into the church, go deep and rebellion against God continues at breakneck speed in our culture generally. Absolutes are questioned. History, true history, is either forgotten or rewritten. The media is losing or has lost much of their credibility, and for good reason. And honest people, good people on both sides of this, have fallen for lies, broken promises, misinformation, and identity politics. This is war, friends. There's a war on truth. It is being redefined. Evil is being called good, as you obviously know, as we're seeing. And God is being replaced by counterfeits. Truth has never been so assaulted, avoided, denied, downplayed, hated, ignored, minimized, reinterpreted, redefined, and suppressed to the point it is today. At the same time, in this fast-paced information age of mass communication, technological advancement, scientific discoveries, and breaking news, people seem less informed, less secure, more distracted, and more confused about what is true than ever before. Why is this? Well, it starts with the root of the problem being they have rejected the one true God. So let's go to some scripture 
Jesus Christ, the living one, as it says in Revelation, who has the keys of death and Hades and who was dead but is now alive forevermore, said this in Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Jesus just covered past, present, and future. He is Christ, who stated, I am the truth in John 14, 6, and the way and the life. He is our foundation. That's what we stand on. Fortunately, we have such a solid grounding under us. If you are a believer in Christ and have uh, taken the time to invest in God's word, these things that we're going to talk about today won't shake you. They might make you upset. They might, might disappoint you or frustrate you, but that will not shake your faith at all. Let's go back to Webster's 1828 Dictionary and look up the definition of truth. Ready? Conformity to fact or reality, exact accordance with that which is or has been or shall be, veracity, purity from falsehood. We rely on the scriptural prophecies. Oop, did you, did you hear that? Back in 1828, which was 200 years ago, roughly, one of the definitions of truth was Scripture. God's Word was part of that definition of what is true. Catch that, brother and sister. Catch that, friends. If you're listening, just tuning in, checking this out. If you're not a believer, listen to what we're going to share today and just process the information. I pray that you have an open mind, an open heart, and you would let God speak to you through some of this. But he covered past, present, and future in 1828. And here in Revelation 1.8, it goes back 2,000 years to John writing about Jesus being the beginning and the end, who was and is and is to come. So, truth is the self-expression of God. Uh, Jesus came into the world to testify to the truth. Um, everyone who is on or of the truth hears the voice of the Good Shepherd and follows him because they know his voice. So, the church in the world the Christian church of the living God is called to be the pillar and support of the truth. It is the God-given responsibility and privilege of every born-again Christian to defend the truth of God's word. Let's discuss six characteristics of truth. It is exclusive, objective, immutable, absolute, universal, and authoritative. We're not even getting to the media yet. We're setting a foundation here first. Truth is exclusive. The Lord Jesus is an example of the exclusivity of truth. He declared he is the only way to the Father. This rubs a pluralistic society. Um, it's, it offends them, actually. The next one, truth is objective. It is not subjective. Truth does not depend on someone's beliefs or feelings. Did you hear that? Truth is always definite, definitive, and conclusive. Third, truth is immutable. Like God and his word, truth is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Psalm 119, verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Truth is absolute. It is not relative. Something cannot be both true and not true. Truth is universal. It applies to everyone, and no one can escape it. Truth is the same at all times, at all places, for all people. And finally, truth is authoritative. It conveys the supreme authority of the Lord Jesus. His word is truth. John 17, 17. Truth cannot be ignored. It demands a response from us. Now, sadly, research shows throughout the last several decades, Barna, Pew, others, Lifeway Research, that even Christians today, some are uncertain about truth and moral absolutes in the church. So it's safe to say that society and culture as a whole is even more either confused or uncertain or in denial, right? So um, it's not surprising that uh, four years ago, the word of the year, Oxford Dictionary and many others come up with a word of the year every year. Oxford Dictionary's word of the year was post-truth. Remember that? You might conclude that this generation today has grown up putting stock in emotion, experience, style over substance. 
but how many of them have even cracked open a Bible or evaluated the many convincing truth claims? Because convincing, because there's evidence, irrefutable and overwhelming evidence. Anyway, Oxford's definition and explanation of post-truth is this. Relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. What's happened today, and I think you would recognize this as we see our culture shift and the hostility toward Christianity increasing in practically every aspect, is they start being less tolerant of Christianity or of Christians. Sidney Harris said this, One way to distinguish truth from all its counterfeits is by its modesty. Truth demands only to be heard among others, while its counterfeits demand others be silenced. So what happens when you silence truth, when you censor, and that's what they're they're doing, even on social media, we've seen it. YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and others are censoring Christian or conservative content. Now, they are not uh, they're they're not run by the people, right? So they have their private corporations, business. They can do what they want, but we need to raise awareness that they're doing it. It's not fair, but who says they have to be fair? They're not Christians. They don't believe in biblical principles generally. There's a scripture in Habakkuk. I just read this this morning. Habakkuk chapter one verse four says, "Therefore." Because of what's happening, right? Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous and therefore justice comes out perverted. Habakkuk 1, verse 4. Remember Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Let's move over to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. As a result, we are no longer to be children. He's talking to Christians, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Christ. Ephesians 4. 14 and 15. How do we grow up? Well, 2 Peter 3.18 says, we Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in His grace, but we need to know Him to grow in Him, right? Finally, um, before we get to the media, which is this topic for today, exposing liberal media bias and talking about the war on truth. I call it media malpractice. 2 Corinthians 4, 3-6, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age, small g, Satan, the God of this age, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in Christ. So that, believe it or not, friends, that was just the introduction today. I want to share with you what people's perceptions of the news media is. I'm going to talk about a little bit about how they've been reporting on the coronavirus, COVID-19, which has been so whacked out if you talk about the fear-mongering and sensationalism. I know they do it to grab headlines. Why? The media is in it to make money. It's simple as that. I don't think it gets more. Well, (laughs) there are evil intents and agendas, of course, but one of the main reasons, they love money. And as we know, money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Now, we the people are slowly catching on. I looked at Pew Research Center. Um, Americans' views of the news media during the COVID-19 outbreak, um, even in crisis, it's clear Republicans and Democrats remain starkly divided in their attitudes toward journalists. We've seen some amazing 
boldness in their really intolerance of conservatives or Republicans in policy and not to mention toward President Trump. And we'll get to that. I've got a lot of uh, coverage and, and uh, research to share with you. First of all, this Pew Research, um, here's the statement, and then we'll, I'll give you the percentages. There are strong partisan divides in whether media fulfill key roles. So here's the percentage of U.S. adults, United States adults, who think the news media's coverage of the COVID-19 outbreak is accurate. There's 1% that says largely accurate. And 31% of Republicans or leaning Republican say the news media coverage is largely accurate. 66% of Democrats or leaning toward Democrat believe the news media coverage is accurate. Isn't that interesting? Well, what's the bulk of the coverage? It's fear. It's panic. It's chaos. It's sensationalism. So now they ask the question, Pew Research, is the media helping the country? Is how they are covering COVID-19 and the coronavirus, is this helping the country? 27% of Republicans say it's helping the country. 63% of Democrats say it's helping the country. So that's one study. Now, for those, I've, I've written about this uh, a couple weeks ago in a article, We Were Made to Work and Worship, Not Isolate. So a lot of us want to get back to church. Some governors are not uh, allowing people to go to church, but you know, we can go to Walmart, we can go to uh, Quick Trip, we can go to, to grocery stores, we can go to a lot of places. Even now, some bars and restaurants are opening up, but no, 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 not, not your churches. The governor of New York, Cuomo, man, um, he is saying the last thing we're going to do is open the churches. So here's a story from Newsbusters, and that's one of the resources I want to give you. Media Research Center, mrc.org. If you are not familiar with the Media Research Center, wait a minute, stop, stop, stop. Ignore what I did. <laughs> if you are prone to increased anger, frustration, and high blood pressure because of the media or what's happening in the country politically or any other way. Do not go here. But this is, they're just reporting the facts. MRC.org, Media Research Center. So now, CNN, they're, they're pretty much saying you are a bigot if you want to go back to church. CNN. Does that surprise you? Well, they know you religious types who insist on going to church during a pandemic need a good talking down to. <laughs> CNN, are you surprised that they would think we are bigots who want to go back to church and fellowship with like-minded believers, people of faith, to get encouragement, to get accountability, to pray for one another, to hear God's word, which the teaching of which is so utterly important to equipping the saints? Uh, well, CNN is not alone. Other media outlets feel the same way. Um we are going to get into principles of journalism. I have nine core principles of journalism when we come back. What we are also going to do is explain those, give you a little info, and give you examples on types of media bias so you can identify. You've got different types of media bias, commission, uh, headlines, omission, um, source selection, selection of sources, spin, Story selection, placement, we're going to talk about all these and just share a little bit of uh, definition of these so you can get a better understanding. We are going to share some headlines that may upset you. And we are not going to just include the news media. We're going to talk about those who are massively influential in America that walk lock and step with the media, meaning entertainers, Hollywood actors, late night New uh, late night comedians, entertainers, I, uh, uh, Kimmel, Myers, uh, Colbert, and others. We're gonna talk. We're gonna quote them. I'm just gonna quote them, and you're gonna go. You're kidding me. They said that. Yep, yep. You know where they're coming from. You know what side they're on because you know their worldview. All right. It is obviously not a Christian worldview. When we come back, we are also going to talk about 
news sources and major outlets and publications and online sources that have pretty much generally moved to the left in the last several decades. And we are going to name names of some of them even Christians go to for information. Wow. We, I guarantee you we will run out of, out of time by the end of the hour. So we've got to take a break. A lot to get to when we come back. We're exposing media bias, and we're just talking about the war on truth on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Okay, we're going to get into the nine core principles of journalism in a minute and not spend a lot of time on it. But I think for those of us who forget what the media is supposed to do in America, how the press was created and why, we need to be reminded. And then we need to look at today's journalism, so-called journalism and today's media and go, this is a disservice to we the people. But I want to talk about local media for a minute. I've been very intrigued. I was going to say disappointed. Yes, that too by how the local media has been handling some of these stories. It's really amazing to me how, remember, we tend to trust local media more than the national media. We tend to. But I want to encourage you guys, um, a lot of the local news outlets, and I, I'm, I did this research several years ago. I was, on, I was the president of the Wisconsin Media Watch. Media Check is what we were called. And we were really evaluating local news media. They get their talking points from the AP, Associated Press, which is liberal, or they take them from, they take their marching orders from the major networks, CBS, ABC, NBC, Fox. By the way, Fox and local news or Fox, when you look at the, the major news, the major network, Fox News Channel is not Fox Network, Right on your main TV channel. So very, very different. But the local news takes their cues oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes. So I'm just looking at some coronavirus coverage. And I don't remember if I shared this story with you from um, a couple weeks ago. Where was that? Oh, the, the nursing home. Oh, my goodness. So there's a local nursing home. And I'm not going to mention the news outlet because I don't want to embarrass uh, people locally, but just be advised if you're in the Green Bay area, Northeast Wisconsin, understand what they're doing and where they're coming from. They don't hate you, probably, most of them. They don't hate you. First of all, they if you go into journalism today, you're taking your marching orders from your your editor or the producer of the news or the general manager of the station. You've got a lot of bosses and the people, we the people, which that's why the press got started in America to begin with. We aren't the boss of the news, right? They're not serving us any longer. But just so you understand that. So they did this story on this nursing home uh, about an hour from here that contracted a case of coronavirus, one or two. Now, this was these are nursing home elderly. So they, they immediately called uh, the state and had them send people over to put processes and new policies in place at the nursing home and they said some of the staff got infected with coronavirus and they said it was a really concerning outbreak and they so they had to share with other local nursing homes regional nursing homes how to approach this do you know that at the at the end of that article on the, from this local news outlet they did not mention any numbers or facts or data i'm not kidding you they didn't say how many. In fact, I think that was the final line of the news story. They did not. The representative did not indicate how many people were infected. Is that not irresponsible? <laughs> oh, Lord, help us. And I'm very passionate about this only because I've been writing about it for a long time, because the foundation is truth matters. That's the foundation here and who they should be serving. Now, here's an article that came out. It says, um, Hmm. UW Oshkosh, University of Wisconsin, research shows the April 7th election led to spread of COVID-19. Economists indicate a significant association between in-person voting and the spread of COVID-19 two to three weeks after Wisconsin's primary. 
the team analyzed county-level data from the state of Wisconsin, right? Our research confirms, our results confirm, the Wisconsin Department of Health Services findings on the link between the spread of COVID-19 and voting by the use of testing and tracing methods, this expert in Wisconsin said, right? However, the tracing investigation undertaken was not comprehensive, and our results indicate a much larger potential relationship, meaning there are so many other factors involved. By the way, do you think they would share a percentage of people or a number of people who maybe were tested, po- tested positive for coronavirus because of in-person voting? No, they did not do that. Completely irresponsible. I'm looking at I have it right here. There's no numbers in this article from a local news outlet. What are they trying to do? They know people are busy. We're distracted. We see our iPhones. We see our computer screens. We see what the headlines flashed on the news, on TV. We don't have time to read the whole story or or to click on every link. So what's the headline? University of Wisconsin research shows the election, in-person election, led to the spread of the coronavirus, of COVID-19. Now, this next one is interesting, and I'm going to connect two different articles that just came out today. Yesterday. Yesterday. Okay. Um, Ready? (laughs) Record number of new coronavirus cases reported in Wisconsin. Now, they did put numbers in here. Kudos to them for actually doing something responsible. 528 new cases. And you ready for the next article? I don't even need to tell you any more than that. They just wanted to say, hey, a record number of new cases were reported in Wisconsin. The next article, more than 10,000 people tested for COVID-19 in Brown County. That's where Green Bay is, if you are listening online from different parts of the country. So we're Green Green Bay. We're in Brown County, Wisconsin. 10,000 people were tested, right? What would common sense and logic tell you Hmm, if that many people are tested, there's probably going to be some people testing positive for coronavirus. Remember, some are many people are asymptomatic. But that other article just says record number of new coronavirus cases reported in Wisconsin. All right, I'm moving on before I start uh, elevating my blood pressure too much. So that's done. That's local news. Now, nine core principles of journalism. This is from Pew Research Journalism Project. Number one. In fact, I'm going to just give you the the number one through nine, and then I'll just give you a a very brief explanation because we don't have a lot of time. Journalism's first obligation, tell the truth. Your first obligation as a journalist is to the truth and obviously then to the people because number two is journalism's first loyalty is to citizens, not whoever funds you with the most money, Democrat Party, not to a news editor or a news producer or a general manager of a left-wing news station. No, your first loyalty, if you are going into journalism or broadcasting, is supposed to be to the citizens of America. Number three, its essence is a discipline of verification. (laughs) I'm sorry, we know that they're not verifying news sources. That happens time and time again. Number four, I'm sorry, I don't mean to make light of this, uh, but this is just informational for you guys. Number four, it's journalism's practitioners must maintain independence from those they cover in the news. Let me ask you this. Did the journalists who camped out at the White House during the Obama administration maintain an independence from Barack Obama and Joe Biden, of course they didn't. They had parties in the White House. They, they rubbed elbows with him. It's just amazing to me. What a, what a, I think, you know what? I think maybe I need to copy this and send this to all the major news stations and those wanting to go into journalism. Number five, it must serve as an independent monitor of power. An independent monitor of power. Number six, it must provide a forum for public criticism and compromise. Again, these are core principles of journalism. Number seven, it must strive to make the significant interesting and relevant. In other words, significant stories, one, not, not to embellish them, but to try to make them interesting and relevant as they 
report them. Number eight, journalism must keep the news comprehensive and proportional. And number nine, its practitioners must be allowed to exercise their personal conscience. Now, going back to number one, journalism's first obligation is to tell the truth. Democracy depends on citizens having reliable, accurate facts put in meaningful context, right? Um, so this is a problem. Journalistic truth, those two words just don't go together in America anymore. Maybe they did 25 to 50 years ago, but no longer, and I think most of the people know that. I think one poll, and don't quote me because I know there's so many different polls on this, only about 26% of Americans, and this is from one I remember from several years ago in a poll, a study, 26% of Americans trust the news media um, for good reason. I think it's down to 14 now. I, cr I stand corrected. I just corrected myself. Number two, uh, the journalism's first loyalty is to citizens. All right. While news organizations have to answer to many um, advertisers, shareholders, the journalists in those organizations must strive to maintain an allegiance to citizens and the larger public interest above any other if, oh no, don't put if in there, if they're to provide the news without fear or favor. In other words, without bias. Their commitment should be to citizens. Number three, the the essence of discipline and verification. I don't even think I need to explain that one. You know how many stories, because of the 24-7 cycle, and everybody's competing. You want to get the gotcha headline out there first so you get the most hits or views on your website or most people following you. So you'll throw something out there without verifying it, George Snuffleupagus, George Stephanopoulos on ABC News and Good Morning America. By the way, don't get your headlines from The View, right? the liberal view, the hostile toward Christianity uh, view. All right, so that's discipline and verification, which does not happen as much as it should. And what does it mean they must maintain an independence from those they cover? Even if you're... Now, let's just, let's just say journalism was being done as it was supposed to. I would not want journalists from any station going and having private dinners with President Trump. I just would not want that. You don't want them to be biased. You don't want them to have this friendship and then their loyalty to a president. And I'm a conservative first. I'm a Christian first, conservative and American. I'm not standing up for the Republican Party or the Democrat Party, but I'm saying you've got to maintain your independence if you are a journalist. We all have our biases. I admit my biases. I'm a Christian. I have a different, I have a conservative worldview. I look at the world very differently than a lot of people, and that's okay. I admit that, but I just want to, them to report both sides and let the public decide from the facts. Next, uh, what about an independent monitor of power? Journalism has an unusual capacity to serve as a watchdog over those power. And by the way, was Barack Obama in his administration ever criticized? I'm sure he was from conservative media. I'm talking about the mainstream media outlets. Uh, ABC, NBC, CBS, NPR, New York Times, Washington Post. Did they ever criticize him for any of his executive orders? Remember, he said, I have a pen and a phone. I can do whatever I want. I won the election, right? But the media didn't, they weren't a watchdog. Oh, my goodness. Um, anyway, they were like the, a goldfish. <laughs> um, okay, number six, it must provide a forum for public criticism. We must be able to contact our news outlets and either criticize or ask them to compromise if they are reporting one way too heavily, which they do constantly now. All right, I've got to move on because I just don't have time to um, get through everything that's in front of me here. And I, <laughs> I was telling Crash before the podcast today, I've got about three hours of material I'm going to squeeze into this show. <laughs> so, um, all right, let, let's move on. And now here's where... All right, which, which way to go? Before we get into President Trump, I'm going to revisit some history. And let's go to, I wrote about this in a, a book I wrote called Eradicate, Blotting Out God in America. I cannot do 
a podcast on exposing media malpractice and the war on truth without going back to the 2008 campaign um, season and the election. If you say the words or the names Sarah Palin or Barack Obama, you're going to get such a sharp divide in responses. Most of those responses, I would speculate, are not based in fact and truth. We're going to take a break in a few minutes before I get back to something I wrote about specifically, before even we get to the, get to the coverage on, on President Trump, um, which is 93% negative, historically, in the last, since he got elected. Author Michael Malone was a true journalist. His grandmother was one of the first women reporters for the Los Angeles Times. One week before the 2008 presidential election, in his column for ABC News of all places, Malone wrote a four-page article entitled Media's Presidential Bias and Decline, Blasting His Profession. This is the Los Angeles Times, and he wrote for ABC News. He suggested that the volume of bias in election coverage at that time was both bewildering and, quote, appalling. He said, oh, I just wish, I pray to God, more young people could get into journalism and actually do it right. But I think those days are long gone. So this is a rare example. He said the media was playing a very dangerous game with the Constitution. And he found himself literally shouting at the TV screen during news reports. This guy worked for the L.A. Times and ABC News. Malone was disgusted by what he witnessed. Here's part of his honest 2008 analysis. Bear with me, and then we're going to take a break before I get into some details and facts and surveys. He said, but worst of all, for the last couple weeks, I, now this is in 2008, before the election of Barack Obama, I've begun for the first time in my adult life to be embarrassed to admit what I do for a living. A few days ago, when asked by a new acquaintance what I did for a living, I replied that I was a writer because I couldn't bring myself to admit to a stranger that I'm a journalist. You need to understand how painful this is for me. I am one of those people who truly bleeds ink when I'm cut. I'm a fourth-generation newspaper man, but nothing— Nothing I've seen has matched the media bias on display in the current presidential campaign. No, what I object to, and I think most other fair-minded Americans do as well, is the lack of equivalent hardball coverage of the other side. Or worse, actively serving as attack dogs for the presidential ticket of Senator Barack Obama and Joe Biden. If the current polls are correct... We are about to elect a president of the United States, to, uh, to pre as president of the United States, a man who is essentially a cipher, who has left almost no paper trail, seems to have few friends, and has entire years missing out of his biography. What we haven't, why haven't we seen an interview with Senator Obama's grad school drug dealer when we know all about Miss? Miss, Mrs. McCain's addiction. Are Bill Ayers and Tony Resco that hard to interview? Are all those phony voter registrations that hard to scrutinize? And why are Senator Biden's endless gaffes, this was in 2008, almost always covered up or rationalized by the media? End quote. This is Michael Malone writing a, an article for ABC News in 2008. Like him, I, that's one of the reasons I decided to put some of my blogs and research into a book and really write about this in um, a chapter, Truth Has Left the Media. Like Michael, many of us yelled at the TV as well back then as we witnessed some of the worst reporting in our history. You've heard it said that two things divide America, our politics and religion. They both came into play in the 2008 election cycle. Barack Obama's liberal theology, Christian, um, I'm sorry, uh, Sarah Palin's Christian, conservative Christian theology, and the two could not coexist. 
We'll get into a whole lot more and talk about what the media research <laughs> calls um, biased reporting when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. All right, we are going back to the 2008 election cycle and talking about how the media handled it, which was awful, horrific. Uh, flashback, how the media helped elect Barack Obama. Well, let's just look at um, what they said, and I'm just going to take some quotes here. Um, let's see. Oh, let me just read a quote from Front Page Magazine's John Perazzo, who, uh, no relation to, to me, um, he's monitored years of media bias and said he has never seen it more pronounced than in that 2008 cycle. He said, the professionals who constitute America's mainstream news media, the reporters, editors, anchors, publishers, correspondents, bureau chiefs, and executives at the nation's major newspapers, magazines, radio networks, and television networks, are leftists and Democrats in far greater numbers than they are conservatives or Republicans. I've got numbers on that in a minute, by the way. They have been transformed by virtue of the one-sided, passionately partisan worldview shared by editors and reporters alike into mouthpieces of the political left. Let's be clear about something that I think we can take away from that history, election history in America. Uh, Sarah Palin was hated, not for what her policies. She had, when she was... Uh, elected, not elected, when, when John McCain picked her to be VP, a running mate for the Re Republican ticket in 2008, she had an 87% approval rating in Alaska. Barack Obama, I think at one point, had uh, something like in the 20s or 30s. It was, it was awful. It was very low approval in Chicago, but I don't think the media ever mentioned that other than you know, Sean Hannity and Rush Limbaugh, maybe. So Sarah Palin was hated uh, for being a Christian. We need to remember that Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you as well. I just paraphrase there. So let's just talk about this because of her faith in God. And, oh my goodness, <clears throat> haven't you ever wondered why, when someone on the public stage radiates noble character, common sense, maybe a natural grace, not even wearing their Christianity on their sleeve. Someone like a Ronald Reagan did or Sarah Palin did when she first got out in the public eye. He or she would be regarded by the big media with inexplicable revulsion. Hatred is almost too soft a word. It's because people like that, a Reagan or a Palin, manifest the very qualities of character that the jaded media elite lost long ago. And since being reminded of their lost innocence, it's painful and unwelcome, so the media then feel compelled to attack the reminder. All right, here's some tweets from during that time, and I'm going to try to be fair. I'll show you both sides. <clears throat> Here's some tweets that blasted across the Internet. Uh, my hatred for Palin, Sarah Palin, continues to grow. I think this woman should be assassinated. Another tweet. Can somebody please shoot Sarah Palin? Another tweet. I hope Sarah Palin dies an ugly death and takes her moronic hate with her because she was pro-life, remember? I am very nonviolent, but somebody needs to shoot Palin's toes off. Uh... <laughs> Save a wolf, shoot Sarah Palin. Just saw that on a bumper sticker, ha ha. I may hate Sarah Palin, but I wish no real violence upon her. Just an inoperable tumor. Sarah Palin is the single most dangerous threat to the future of the human race. Somebody, could, somebody should shoot her. Another tweet. Join us in praying to God that Sarah Palin contracts cancer and dies. And then, I hope Sarah Palin dies a slow and painful death. You can find hundreds and hundreds and hundreds more like this. I'm not sure if you could find them anymore, but I documented this when I was writing about it 10, 12 years ago. Could you find anything remotely close to this about Barack Obama? I think you know the answer to that. All right? You cannot. Because oh, you'd be a racist if you said anything like that. You're not mentioning the color of his skin. You just, just disagree with his policies and his and his tweaked liberal, you know, theology and 
progressive mindset. You, and you can just talk about that, and you'll be termed a hater. So uh, Michelle Malkin said Hollywood savaged Palin. Journalists mocked her. Lib- liberal blogs slimed her. Opponents cursed her, photoshopped her, hacked her email, hanged her in effigy, called her a bigot, Bible thumper, bimbo, attacked her husband and children, made fun of her for having the audacity to give birth to a Down syndrome baby. So that's how they handled her. Now, um, let's talk about, let's see, I got some quotes about Obama, the quotes about Barack Obama. And, yeah, let me just jump to those. We're running out of time here quickly. And these are from journalists. Oh, my goodness. A female CNN host said, it's like running against God. You know the media has anointed him, referring to Obama. Um, Wolf Blitzer on CNN said, I see he's getting a standing ovation from all of the journalists who have come there to hear his speech. Did you hear what I just said? It's not the crowd. It was the journalists that gave Barack Obama a standing ovation. Um, And then, talking about running mates, um, Obama has prospered in this presidential campaign because of the steadiness of his temperament. The most important decision he has made, the selection of a running mate, Joe Biden, right, was done carefully with attention to detail. Two months later, John McCain's preemptory selection of Governor Sarah Palin has come to seem a liability. That's just on the running mates, right? Keith Olbermann, remember this at MSNBC? He said, take pride that this nation can produce men and speakers such as Obama. Um, Remember Chris Matthews? It's part of reporting this election, the feeling most people get when they hear Barack Obama's speech. I felt this thrill going up my leg. I mean, I don't have that too often. (laughs) Matt Lauer in interviewing President or Senator Obama before he was elected president, Matt Lauer said, People have called you the Savior, the Messiah, the messenger of change. Joe Stein, L.A. Times. All the media, we're just on board. We're not embarrassed when we get together. We just talk about how much we love Obama. Chris Matthews again. I've been criticized for saying that he inspires me, and his speech was worthy of Abraham Lincoln. Brian Williams. I keep hearing that we have our JFK. It's hard to stay objective covering this guy. Well, Brian, because you were never objective to begin with. Um, ABC News reporter said, and rally after rally, people literally faint. Hillary Clinton said this. Remember, she was running against him. Ready? Maybe we should ask Brock if he's comfortable and needs another pillow. (laughs) Oprah Winfrey said, haven't. I haven't been actively engaged before because there hasn't been anything to be actively engaged in. But I am engaged now to make Barack Obama the next president of the United States. And she definitely used her program on television to uh, help do that. And the list could go on and on and on. Now, quotes about Sarah Palin. The Washington Post said, we still don't have the date of the first issuance of her passport. Passport. Um, Karen Dunn said, this woman is trouble. Radio talk show host, documentary film director John Ziegler said, after McCain announced his VP candidate, she gave her um, record TV audience lightning bolt convention speech, and when the polls reflected her high likability, the media was petrified of Sarah Palin. Um, NBC reporter, the broader question is, if Palin becomes VP, will she be shortchanging her kids or will she be shortchanging the country? Because she was a working mom, right? Uh, Joe Biden. Palin would be a backward step for women. <laughs> David Letterman, remember that? You're up there in Alaska sneaking around and any, doing anything you want, and nobody cares. Okay. <sighs> and John Stewart saying F you to Palin because um, she was talking about how middle America tends to be more patriotic. And, and we could go on and on. So post-election results. By 10 to 1, this is Rasmussen, by 10 to 1, the public says reporters tried to hurt Sarah Palin. By nearly 8 to 1, voters say journalists wanted Obama to win. 5 to 1 margin, most journalists tried to elect Obama. Pew Research Poll finds media credibility plummets to an all-time low. Rasmussen, this is in 2008, 55% say media bias, bigger problem 
than campaign cash. Fox News poll, two-thirds think most journalists wanted Obama to win. Pew Research again, many recognize media's pro-Obama bias and that Democrats prefer CNN, obviously. And here's one more point I want to make. Lopsided ratio of campaign donations by journalists and people in the media. You ready? In terms of dollars given to campaigns, 15 to 1 money given to Democrats. Now, for big media, ABC, CBS, NBC, New York Times, Washington Post, the big news outlets, the ratio in campaign donations, 100 to 1 in favor of the Democrats. So you tell me there's no bias, you're lying, you're in denial, or your, your head's in the sand. I'm sorry. No, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sorry I'm passionate about this. I didn't even get to, I could do a whole show, I guess, on the negative reporting about tr- President Trump. Um, there's so much information here about just the reports and why they're reporting the way they do. I'm going to have to do another segment on this, maybe another time. Um, but I, I do want to say in the podcast notes today, I'm going to put um, some links for Christians, conservatives, resource links for current news commentary. I have a top 50 links, and I could read you through them. I was, was planning on reading through these, but I ran out of time. But we needed to, to just talk about this. Here, uh, let me just share this. Um, an example, uh, Joe Biden said recently, uh, Gretchen Whitmer, in the governor of Michigan, is doing a heck of a job, and he's obviously considering her for a VP. Do you, you know how she's running that state? This could be our vice president, meaning if Biden is the um, nominee, this woman could be the president of the United States. If that doesn't scare you. And Hillary Clinton said the protesters in Michigan and other states who want to open up businesses, they're domestic terrorists. This is Hillary Clinton's view. So she's right in line with Gretchen Whitmer and some of these others. So. Just some things we've got to keep an eye on to see where this goes. Yes, I have run out of time. So I'll get to the left and right media sources another time along with the top 50 links. In fact, I'll put that in today's podcast notes. We have to take a break. I'll let you know tomorrow's guest when we come back. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now, we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. Not everyone in the media is evil. They, many of them have been brainwashed, and they are influenced by um, contributors, by those with the money, their editors or publishers. I said that. I hope you cl- clearly know that uh, I'm not saying I hate them. I'm saying they really need God. They need Jesus. They need to hear the gospel. If they reject it, that's on them. Truth has left the media, and we have to remember this ongoing information war Be careful of where you get your information and don't be too quick to get into arguments on social media or anywhere else. The fight for morality and truth is just one of the battles we as believers face in this um, news cycle, this entertainment-driven culture, which has a growing anti-Christian influence. Now, right now, I'm going to tell you about tomorrow's podcast. Pastor Chris Quintana, he doesn't have any strong feelings about what's happening with the coronavirus misinformation and COVID-19, how it affects churches and everything else, how people are reporting on it. We'll talk to Pastor Chris tomorrow and get a pastor's perspective on tomorrow's Stand Up For The Truth. Thanks again for tuning in and sharing our podcast. God bless you and keep speaking the truth about things that matter.